Welcome to Punch Card Investing, a weekly show dedicated to all things value investing. Whether it be analyzing companies, pitching ideas, or discussing moves by the best investors in the world, we're trying to get one step closer to punching an investment off of our cards. Let's get started. Thank you, intro man. He's always as stable and as productive as ever. It's always a amazing, and it's an amazing intro uh, every time he's on. So we always appreciate him for his service. Patrick, it's good to have you back on. I know it's been some weeks since uh, we've been together, but it's uh, it's time to talk about moats. And I know this was actually a topic that you suggested some time ago, so we're kind of saving it for an episode where you can join. So uh, uh, good awesome. to have you on for this one. Um, but before we get into that, just a reminder for everyone to like, comment, subscribe, all that great stuff. It goes a long way towards helping the channel, especially subscribing so you don't miss future episodes, whether they be our, our live show or some of the new shows that we've been rolling out, like Contrarian Corner and Firm Discussions. Both are, both of those shows more get into uh, individual company analysis. So if you're interested in that and potentially getting more ideas for uh, stock analysis, then definitely check those out. Um, otherwise, uh, I think it's about time we get into some moats. Patrick, how have you been? I'm okay. I've been, uh, my immune system has been put to the test since we started daycare. So I'm a little, little under the weather right now, but we'll, we'll get through it. So. And is your, uh, I mean, the immune system kind of is a, a great analogy for a moat. If I do say so myself, <laughs> it's your first line of defense. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. So, I mean, just as far as moats go, do you want to start with the definition? Do you have something or? Yeah. Um, a succinct definition, see if I can come up with one, but I always think of it as uh, a company's ability to withstand competition. Um, mm-hmm. And kind of as a subset of that, is it easily um, mimicked or copied? And if it's not, or there's some sort of barrier that would prevent someone from copying it, then that would be considered a moat. And a moat could be brand value, could be just uh, legal barriers. You could, we could uh, certainly talk about maybe low cost provider moats as well. That that can be a, yeah, a I want to get into that. moat as well. Um, that's kind of how I think about it. Do you think about it in a, a different way or have something else I missed? Uh, the, yeah, I mean, I think as simple as possible, it's just a sustainable competitive, competitive advantage. Um, you know, what, what protects you from competitors is, is yeah. the way I think about it. Um, if you listen to Buffett and Munger talk about moats, they, they stay in the metaphorical term for actually like most of their discussion, you know, Warren Buffett will start talking about the, the castle and the Lord of the castle. And then he just gets like, you know, into, um, anyway, so what I wanted to do was go more into like the, the true business, I guess, definitions of, of what, what the, the moat looks like. So, um, like specific examples we can do examples yeah but just yeah i mean i'll go through some but i think one other thing that's neat about moats is that um you know it's kind of it's something that you have to be um i guess scared of if you're if you're somebody like me who loves the magic formula stocks right because Hmm. one of the things that defines a magic formula stock is a stock that own that earns a high return on invested capital. And so anything that earns a high return on, on invested capital is going to attract a lot of competitors. Right. So, sure. um, 
Which yeah, high, mar- kinda- high margins in general. Uh, yeah, if something's really profitable, typically mm-hmm. there's meat on the bone for someone else too. But yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, it's kind of a paradox because if you can, you know, if you're in a, sometimes people don't want to enter businesses that look like they're earning a low return on invested capital. So you know, do those have better moats? I guess not. But then, who wants to own? Who wants to invest in that? You know, so right. Um. But anyway, I, I thought we could, I want to give kind of a general way that, that, that I think about the moats and then we can go through some specific companies. Sure, yeah, go ahead. So um, if I'm thinking of it, I think there's two parts. There's the barrier to entry, which is like what's preventing somebody else from just starting up a company in this industry. And uh, one of the biggest things is like just high absolute capital. So even though you, you can say like, uh, somebody like Amazon or Google, you know, earns a high return on invested capital. You know, you you're not going to come up with hundreds of billions of dollars to start something on their scale to compete. You, you know what I mean? That's, sure. And and so another barrier to entry, I think, are really just asset heavy businesses. So I think of like manufacturing, which is what I work in, and then anything involving government regulations. I mean, think about how hard it would be to make a, um, to make your own pharmaceutical company. Let's say you, you, you had some new idea, you know, you, you don't just, that's not just something that you can jump into, right? That's a, there's a lot of government regulation there. It's the same in my industry and in, uh, manufacturing. There's a lot of environmental regulations and stuff that you just have to get through and it takes time. Um, sure. I think, I think kind of before that though, you were talking more about the asset heavy, like very heavy businesses. Um, maybe that moat would sort of be, I don't, I don't want to call it economies of scale, but that, that kind of goes to the low cost provider model perhaps um, where someone has just so much invested in their current systems that the only way we could possibly beat them on price would be to have the same gigantic system or network already set up. And that's yeah. very as we get to. So is it even worth it? Um, I, I, I maybe is economies of scale considered a moat? It kind of is. Um, yeah, that sounds like some, yeah, I, I guess that, you know, I, I don't use the, um, I guess that that's like the, the economic language or something, but, but yes, I, the account being bigger is definitely is yeah. helpful because you spread out your fixed costs, you know, and I, and that definitely comes into play um, for part two, I guess. So, so the first one, like I said, can you even start this company? Like what barriers are there to help to have you start it? And then to me, the second layer of a moat is all about the customer. Like how do you get the customer? Let's say that you could make an identical product. How do you get the customer to pick yours over somebody else's? Right. Right. And the first one is low cost producer. And I think that gets thrown around a lot, but I don't really hear people go into what, what makes a low cost producer. So you, you kind of touched on it. Like one way is to just be huge to where your fixed costs are spread out and you're way more efficient. You can share um, best practices, that sort of thing. I think a lot of companies do that. That's probably the easiest one to to point at just because it's, it's huge. It's right in front of you. Yeah. Um, I'll, and I'll tell you another one um, is I guess vertical integration. So being integrated back uh, down as far as, down the sure. raw material tra- chain as you can be. So for example, uh, we, I talked about fertilizer companies last time I was on and, um, 
there was one fertilizer company I was looking at and uh, they, they weren't doing as well. And it, and I'm, I was curious why. And then I, I was talking to somebody about it and they said, look, the reason is that they're not integrated all the way back to natural gas, like everybody else, you know, everybody else who makes ammonia is usually integrated back to or who makes fertilizers is somewhere integrated back to natural gas. But these people were, were only integrated back to ammonia. So it, it, just that one step was a huge difference in economic performance because they couldn't pass that cost on as well as, as the other people, you know, so that integration I think is really key to being a low cost producer. And then um, the other thing is just location, like sometimes proximity to raw materials and things like that uh, make a big difference or proximity to customers. You're just going to have much lower shipping costs, you know, and that that will automatically make you a, a low cost producer, right? Yeah, when it comes to vertical integration, uh, I mean, the one that always comes to mind is like a, a standard oil type thing. This is an old example, but where you have a lot of access to the the natural resource that you need that is hard to replicate or substitute. So in their case, it was oil, mm-hmm. um, and then they they kind of went up the whole chain from there. Um, and it created, and it combined with that, you know, you had a lot of uh, cost advantages too, because they could control the entire supply chain um, and not have to pay middlemen at least as much. So that's a nice advantage to have. And mm-hmm. when it, in the resource space, of course, if there's only so many of a, there's, there's only so much of a particular type of natural resource to go around. So if you can control a lot, a lot of it, you know, that's going to be a moat of some sort. Not yep. to say that substitutes can't come up or new discoveries can't be made, but kind of on that uh, on that same note, it, uh, having some sort of control of the, of the actual natural resource um, or land in an area is going to be a big advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does kind of depend on the industry, of course, and what the product really is. Yeah. Can you highlight the comment that just came in? Because I mm-hmm. think that that also adds to it what what, what you were talking about. Because you, you, this is what you, you just said that, like, you know, being big helps with the fixed costs, but he's saying, you know, it also helps negotiation and variable costs. And that's, that's a hundred percent too, you know, if you it, can throw it, your weight I think, around. I think it kind of depends because at the same point, at the same time, like, yeah, I think a lot of the time that's true, but when a company becomes so big, it can become very inefficient. And that's like an aircraft carrier trying to turn. Um, that's where, that's where there might mm-hmm. be opportunity for a bunch of small, more nimble, smaller, more nimble players to come in and, and take a share. <clears throat> but yeah, certainly a lot of the time, yes, they'll have a ton of negotiating leverage and then allow them mm-hmm. to get stuff even cheaper because they have volume. Yeah. Um, the, so moving on, I guess I got two, well, really just there's one more big thing for customer preference. Yeah. And that's, um, quality and not as much like I'm not talking about your purity versus somebody else. It's more the risk you pose to the customer's quality. So I'll give you a business example and then a personal example because um, we'll, we'll get into that. But <laughs> sure. So, so so like business wise, I, I used to work for this one company and we pretty much had no competition in, I guess, the the Western hemisphere, like North, everything was either in China or India that was a, that there was a competitor. Um, and you know, I, I, I asked the, the CEO, like one day I was like, why, look, why, why don't we have any competition? <laughs> you know, cause, <laughs> and he gave me kind of the big, um, 
scale argument that I talked about with the, you know, it's, hey, it's hard to make chemicals. You need this. But then he said that the real reason is that our product is such a small percentage uh, of, of the customer's needs, but it, but it impacts their entire product quality. So, so, you know, it might be a fraction of a percentage of what, that, what goes into the customer's final product, but it has such a huge impact that to them, they're not going to risk going with anybody else, if that makes sense, because mm-hmm. they'd be saving fractions of a percentage just to that, and then be jeopardizing their whole thing. And that's, that's, um, that's a big one. Um, I think from a personal consumption level, and this is personal consumption is a great way to judge modes. I mean, think about your favorite businesses. Um, you, that's, that's a great way to look at a moat. Usually they're super expensive. If I think of things like, you know, where do I spend most of my time and money? It's the, those questions, you know, time would be free time, probably be Google, YouTube, you know, right. and, and then money's, my all pretty much our money goes to Costco or Amazon, you know, yeah, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, but those are expensive too. Um, but a personal consumption story is like, okay, I don't, if you go get, get, get a drug for yourself from CVS or Walgreens, or you, do you get the generic or the, or, or, or the normal brand or do you, yeah. Do you, if you're going to go get Tylenol, do you get Tylenol or do you get, you know, Good, great value is acetaminophen or something like that. Yeah, if it's the same exact, uh, the the few times I would do that, um, would I'd look at the uh, ingredients on both, and if they're mm-hmm. the exact same, it's generics for sure. But so, uh, yeah, yeah hundred times out of a hundred, I or I always did that for myself. I'd get, um, you know, I always, it's like fifty percent cheaper or like right. you know, it's it's crazy. Well, look, and, and this is so weird, and it's an example of an irrational consumer, but the first time uh, we had our, our baby got sick, I had, you know, my, my wife's like, go get infant Tylenol at the store. And I'm there, and I see the infant Tylenol, and right next to it, I see, you know, great value Tylenol for infants. And I'm looking, and I read the labels, and it's like the exact same. Yeah, exact same. And it's like $8 <laughs> versus $12. And I was like, like, I'll just go with the normal for this time, you know, and I got the normal and like, that's not rational. I don't do that for myself, but it was a, to me, the, you know, that was a, a greater risk. So it's to, that that's a good example of a moat, you know, that, that, uh, I don't, I don't think most customers are thinking of it, of it this way, but you know, uh, maybe not on, on the big company level, but certainly for a smaller company, uh, this might go for, for commercial customers as well, but if it's a smaller business coming to help you, you might assume, okay, they probably don't, they're not as well insured. Uh, they're not, they're not necessarily going to stand by something. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some of the, the drawbacks of being smaller, you're just not as well capitalized in many cases. And, and some customers worry about that. Maybe not at the, you know, at the drugstore aisle level, but mm-hmm. uh, maybe commercial clients who have a big project going on, are they going to send their hundred thousand dollar bid to, to, the small company, or are they going to go for the big national brand that they know will cover themselves if, if something goes wrong, you know, uh, and it's, it's an, that goes kind of back to the size thing though. Um, a bit but, of a tangent from what I, you're getting at though on brand value. No, no, but, but, but I agree with what you said because it's, it's especially powerful in companies where uh, you're dealing with purchasing people or procurement that, that is spending somebody else's money, right? If it's not your own money, if it's somebody else's, the biggest thing you want to do is avoid a mistake, right? Um, sure, yeah. So, so the last thing you're going to do is take risks. Like you're, you're not going to save ten percent 
you know, so that you can tell your boss, hey, look, I saved 10 percent on this one expense. If it means that you you're more afraid of risking. I mean, can you imagine failure. being the guy that that hired the that and the small uh, the budget cleaning business? And then, the, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was, was going to say that just like I, and with my steam cleaning operations, it's uh, we don't really run into it because we have a decent local reputation, but uh it's certainly a consideration that I'm sure plenty of people make. It's like, okay, we're going to go for the big national chain brands. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they're more or less expensive, just cause you know, there, there's a big company behind it. At the same time, some people look at it the exact opposite way. They'd rather go for the, the more flexible, smaller, uh, company service as well. But, um, mm-hmm. I, I think it, it definitely depends on the industry for how much either one of those perspectives affects things. But yeah, it can, it can easily play into brand moat value either way, um, sizing and, and, and national or local reputation. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very, very industry specific, though. That's for sure. Um, and yes. yeah, but yeah. Uh, I, I, I was kind of thinking also a little bit back to sort of the natural resource thing. It's not really a natural resource, but just uh, land ownership as well. That's kind of a moat in itself. Um and that could be for like land speculation, or it could be for we own the land that our plant is on, or we own the land that mm-hmm. uh, we we plan to expand on, or whatever it is. Yeah. So, uh, I, wait, what'd you say? It was uh, McDonald's. Yeah, I was going to mention McDonald's as well. Just like they they own they own all this land, so uh, back to the economies of scale thing, they don't have increasing rent costs necessarily because they mm-hmm. have they have they own that land, so they are the landlord. And they also have that land that they can sell or leverage against in a pinch. Um, so that, that that's another potential long-term moat builder is literally owning the land that you're operating on or that you're that you're planning to build on or whatever it is. Um, and it's something well, that can be, I think can be pretty overlooked uh, just because leasing it, the leases are often capitalized and I think often forgotten. Um, but having actual real estate on the balance sheet, it, it can be a huge, huge advantage for a variety of reasons. That being just one of them, um, mm-hmm. not just that they own an asset, but that their their costs maybe are controlled, and someone who doesn't own that land isn't going to have that same advantage. Yeah, you get to depreciate it on paper, and it actually appreciates in real value. Yes. Uh, that, at least in the rental business, yes. Yeah, uh, I, I'm talking just more generally for businesses yeah. that happen to own real estate, whether it is their business or not. Um, but yeah, if it is their business, then yeah, they get they get that benefit too. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of McDonald's, and I'd like to hear people's what what other people think on this too in the comments. Like, do you think that they still have a moat, or and and if not, what happened to it? Like, do you do you think that they have the same reputation that they had 20, 20 years ago? I'm curious how many stores they are at. I, I saw something. Uh, uh, I subscribed to this this brand called Charter. Um, I think they're pretty big right now. They're like an email newsletter, but they send these really nice looking charts. Um, and the one I just saw was talking about the like national food chains that expanded or closed the most in the last year. There, mm-hmm. there I was able to find it. Um, and it shows that. But they might not be closing because they, because like you said, they own the land. It's not like they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't even see them on this list. That's funny. But the top 10 yeah. for fastest growing chains, we have uh, totally. uh, Starbucks, number one, 429. Oh, wow. 
Crumble Cookie is 363 is in second. Jersey Mike's 297. Chipotle 211. They're in fourth. Then Taco Bell, Wingstop, Popeyes, Tropical Smoothie Cafe, Chick-fil-A, and Dutch Bros are the top 10. Uh, though Jersey Mike's Crumble and Starbucks are pretty far ahead of the rest. Here, let me see if I can pull this uh, chart up on the show. Yeah, here we go. And uh, the biggest loser was is actually uh, Subway. It's lost yeah. 571 stores. Now um, owned by Jimmy John's or something. Yeah. yeah, or Jersey Mike's. Is, you know, I mentioned that was in second. I'm a big Jersey Mike's guy. I don't know about you. <laughs> um, but Chipotle. Yeah. Chipotle to me is like the healthy fast food that I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, it has the allure. Still cheap. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, do you, do you think McDonald's still has the same percent has the same reputation moat in people's mind as it did thirty years ago? I I wouldn't think so. But I've never been a McDonald's guy. But at the same time, they see. I, I would. I wanted to see if they were on this list, but I don't even see them here. Mm-hmm. Um. I, like I said, I don't think that they because they own all the land. Um, like they shouldn't be going anywhere. Yeah, and, we, and they're still yeah, very even cheap. if their stores, even if their stores not doing well. You know, these other guys, if they're not if if they're not doing well and they're leasing, you know the then then they're going to be closing down and stuff. But the but the McDonald's. I wonder how much do they leverage? Do you know if McDonald's leverages their their land and, and their stores? Because that could that could easily. Uh, make that not work pretty quickly. I know, I know that the franchiser now gets like, he pretty much gets like 10% on his money or something like that. It's something. But I mean, I don't don't know. Do they, do they? No, no, I, I, no, I don't know. I don't know. But that's just an example of, to me, a moat that's, that is really disintegrated. Cause I remember using, I remember, begging my parents on the way home from school whenever <laughs> I was in elementary school for, for McDonald's for dinner or something, you know, and we'd probably well, get it once a week or, and well, like my you, kid, they're well, not going to be say, McDonald's. You say that, you know? but they, still, <laughs> they still continue to make money. So yeah. So, but, but know, I guess to, to, stock, to, to, to quote Warren Buffett, there, there was a, there was an image in people's heads of what, um, like McDonald's was think and and I don't I don't know if that's the same as it was as it as it was 30 40 years ago. Revenue has been remarkably consistent uh for the most part. Let's see here. Need to share the window rather than the tab. But here you go. Here's McDonald's revenue and pretty consistent besides the big drop in 2020, but a lot of restaurants mm-hmm. did not fare well. Um, a lot but, of some restaurants did better because of the drive-through, which I thought. Are you true? Yes. A, a few. Yes. But yeah, but 23, uh, 23 million or 23 billion in uh, revenue yearly. And that is driving. What do we got in free cash flow? Yeah. About call it five to 7 billion in mm-hmm. free cash flow every year. Pretty pretty stable, not growing, but and then what yeah. But a moat to me is like where where is it gonna is it? I, I, I see. I, more I, do, do you think that they've though. been chipped away? Do you, that's that that that's all I'm I'm saying. I don't you know, I don't as, I don't think so. Like yeah, like mentally I think so. Like yeah, but I mean when you look at the numbers, they they still seem to be mm-hmm. doing all right. And maybe it is because of the the, the land advantage that, that they have mm-hmm. over many others. Yeah, um, that's right. That's what Louis yeah, long-term says. debt, uh, thirty-five billion. Well, and uh, 
basically no cash, but that doesn't include all the land. Then, yeah, they're, they're just bringing cash flow in all the time. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think a good... Do you, do you think it's necessary to be a top performing stock for, 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 for 10 plus years? Let's see. Do, you, do I think what is, or you kind of cut there? Do you, do you think a moat is necessary mm. to be a, a top performing stock for, for 10 plus years? For 10 I'm plus? Gonna go, I'm going to go somewhere with this. Yeah. That, I, I, I really want to say no. Uh, but it kind of depends on the company size because if they're huge, mm-hmm. yeah, you probably need a pretty good moat. But if you're, uh, I just look at it this way: like the pie is very large in a lot of local markets, and even mm-hmm. if it's like, like I, just, I'm taking this from my kind of my steam cleaning example. Um, steam cleaning is not a new business; a ton of people do it. There are big players in it too, but you don't have to do that great to take out a pretty tr- uh, decent sized chunk of the pie. Um, just by doing things pretty well. So by that logic, there are a lot of industries where you can get up to probably a couple hundred million dollars or uh, a couple hundred million bucks, even a couple billion bucks and, and be doing all right without a really big moat. Um, mm-hmm. Now, how long they last after that? I don't know. And how much can they really grow beyond that? Also pretty tough, but uh, I, th- I think you can have something perform pretty well, even without a great mm-hmm. moat. Um, but you probably, you probably aren't going to get into like mega billion range though, if you're looking for that. Yeah. Well, that's where I want to tie all this. Cause it's, it's so interesting to me to look at the top performing stocks for 10 years. And then I, I did for 30 years too. And I don't think any of them have moats, but, um, mm-hmm. so like, do you know the, do you know the top two for the last 10 years or I'm not the last 10 from 2010 to 2020? What, what were the top two? If you had to guess, don't look it up. Don't yeah. Look it up. Top. So top two stocks. Best like, return from 2010 to 2022. Is there a market overall. cap limit? Because I'm sure there are some tiny ones that are ridiculous. Yeah. Right. let's. They started decent, let's say. Yeah. I, I don't okay. know. Probably over over 10, probably started over a billion. I don't know. Uh, it's probably not mega cap tech, if I had to guess. Um, one I, of them is Fang. One of them is not. Oh, uh, oh, it's not Netflix, is it? No. Yeah, Netflix. Yeah, Netflix, Netflix was one. number one. Uh, no, like number over one. 40x, over 40x uh, from 2010 to 2020. Wow, that was whenever they got up to over 700. Yeah. Um, number two is crazy. Number two is Domino's Pizza. They also oh, yeah. over 40x in 10 years. That's wow. like compound four. That's like 45 percent per pizzas. year. That's for, selling for, pizzas. For 10 years, Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> he has Bitcoin? Question mark. Yeah, he he got it right at Domino's. Yeah, so. Like, what kind of moat did Domino's have? Like, I would have never guessed. Like, if you're if you're pitching Domino's to me in 2010, I'm thinking, <laughs> no, you got you got all these other. Com- what what differentiates them with um, Papa John's or uh, I, I don't know the I don't oh. eat pizza. My wife eats pizza. I, I don't eat cheese, so I I, I don't oh, have. Okay. A, and so I'm I'm asking you, like, what Domino's? I, what, I've never what been a Domino's fan, but I have a feeling that. Yeah, but that's a great question because it's pizza. It's like the, one of the most commoditized things ever, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, or just food, really. Um, and, I, and I did look this up, so I'm prepared because <laughs> I was so shocked. <laughs> well, they, they have, I, I'm thinking they have their, their all when I, when I think Domino's, I uh, think of like the ads as a kid, like the the 30 minutes. Um, you've got 30 minutes, or it's or you know, or it's free. Um, I'm sure that was a driver. I know they did a rebrand of some sort. Uh, mm-hmm. I think in the 2010s. And that's about all I know. But yeah, they just marched along. 
Um, yeah, it was uh, same thing as Netflix. I think uh, mm-hmm. kind of first to market. They were the first to use the apps online ordering. They were able uh, to get somebody from get get you a pizza in five clicks. At some that was their goal. Like hey five clicks and you can get a pizza t- to your house or something. And they were the first people to do that. And that really did make them the most efficient. And then I, likewise, the low cost producers. So in a way they were the moat or, or they, they did have a moat from being the low cost producer, but yeah, that I seem to remember that more now. Cause when Ackman bought it, I, I looked into it a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. He since sold it, but uh, they, they have like their own internal delivery system or at least have um, and didn't, and, and, and you know, before now everyone uses things like DoorDash, Uber Eats, and all that, and yeah. they didn't need to use that for a while. So yeah, that that, that makes some sense. First mover on digital delivery, yeah. if you want to say that. And um, and net and so we'll, we'll we'll get to Netflix, but think about the think about the pizza delivery system now. Like for the longest time, if you wanted food at your house. That, you know who talked about this? Monish Pabrai talked about this in one of his lectures. It had to be pizza, right? It had like you, or that was just the staple. If you yeah, had true. friends over and you were going to order something, but so that was a huge moat, you know, for some reason, I don't know why, I guess. I mean, I think about French fries and stuff get soggy and all that, but uh, you know, that was, that was the only one. Well now with Uber Eats, DoorDash, like you said, you, you can get anything. And so what is that going to do to the pizza industry? You know, that's, Think about how much of a market share that's going to take away from them. Yeah, because now it's available to more people. Mm-hmm. Um, so those companies have to make money too for that to be sustainable, right? <laughs> so yeah. that, that can't go on forever if a lot of them are losing money, the delivery services. Um, but yeah, I know Domino's. I, I believe Domino's has been hit pretty hard in the last couple of years, probably because of that. Um, so yeah, well, yeah, that's interesting. But Netflix, though, I don't know if I would count that as kind of the same. Yeah, they're the first mover on. They were the first to streaming, right? They were. Mm-hmm. But but at this point, it's like. Well, I'm not saying their moat still exists. I'm saying yeah, right, that right. they had it from 2010 to, to 2020 being the first being the first to market on. But I think media is a little bit different just because you have the intellectual property there that you do have a monopoly on. It's, you could almost call it the ultimate moat in a lot of ways because um, you can't just copy someone's movie. Legally, at least, <laughs> oh, but but but, so, but I mean the the idea of well, right. I understand what, what you're getting. What at. Do you think? Yeah, not the not the movies itself, but the but the streaming platform. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Is, I guess, but yeah, I don't know. If first mover is when did they try back to your initial question on like you know can you ha- can you have a moat um, or do you need a moat to have great returns over ten plus years and. I think that's a great answer. No, being a first mover will give you a big advantage. Um, mm-hmm. But then how long you can sustain it after that is what I was kind of getting at is once you get to a certain size, everyone's going to see that and they're going to be like, Oh, well I can do that too. Um, so you had a good run, but now it's like you're, you're going to be fighting everyone off without a really great moat potentially. Though I think in Netflix's case, they probably have a bit of a stronger one just because of um, the massive amount of media assets they have now, even if some of them are kind of worthless now, uh, it's, they've still built up a big bank of content, which is very hard to do. Um, back to economies of scale and, and yeah. large asset bases, they have a big pile of content um, that's but, ever growing. Yeah, I I don't. I agree. I just see them 
they're not the, the, the only game in town anymore. They're oh, probably no, they're still the not. best, but um, you look at things like Disney Plus and I and guess HBO. who's the big... Yeah. yeah, Amazon Prime. Apple, uh, Amazon, they are all doing stuff. Um, Amazon increasingly. Paramount is the... Yeah. Got bad yeah. memories about Paramount. Yeah. <laughs> or I should say Viacom, because that's whenever I lost money on them. Yeah. <laughs> but... um. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's interesting. Now you're you're going to be more blown away by this one. Best performing stock for the last thirty years. That's uh, uh that's not 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 a uh, some British American tobacco. It's one of the tobacco ones, isn't it? Mm-mm. I don't know. That's I think that's further back. Last yeah. thirty. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know. What is it? Monster Energy Drink. Oh yeah, I saw a video what, on that like, some time ago. It's like how how <laughs> crazy is that? Like I I would have never. To me, and the energy drink market is like I didn't I didn't see that as as uh, I don't see them as being like the the Coca Cola of that. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, now it's got me interested though because now I'm thinking, uh, you know, if if Monster, I mean, it, it's crazy. Like they they had they think about every single public company. They they had the the greatest return out of anybody and for for the last thirty years there was no better place to to put your money. Um, the chart goes back eighteen and a half years. Did they go public in 05? Is that when it was? Uh, it they they were back in the nineties. So it was all the way back then. Yeah. They rebranded a few times, right? Kind of, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. How they did it, the, yeah. but yeah, thirteen thousand percent return just over the past. Uh, what is that? Almost twenty years. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, <laughs> It's just and crazy. That, what do they uh, do in market cap terms? They're up to sixty billion market cap, fifty-six billion or fifty-seven billion enterprise value. And, and um, it, it's on high. Only seven million in revenue, and that's. About, I'm not saying I'd buy it now. Yeah, it's only <laughs> a billion, almost a billion but, and a half. You had to be doing something right. To, yeah, but, say, say that again. About a billion a, a, half, a billion and a half in free cash flow. Here's their free cash flow per per year. Yes. And their market cap was what? Uh, what was it? Sixty billion. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a little little rich. But even so, even well, if you so have it, it's still it's a magnificent return. You're selling at that too. Yeah. So it's that's that's crazy to me because. I would have viewed energy drinks as a commodity between Red Bull. If you told me to like, I don't, I didn't follow any of this, but if you told me to pick the, um, what I thought was the best seller, I would have picked Red Bull, you know, and just not knowing any better. Cause I feel like that's, but now you got all these other ones like Celsius. And, um, he said, Louise said too late. I'm all in on, on Domino's and monster. <laughs> I I'm reminded of the uh, Charlie Munger quote where he said, you know, that things, you know, this is something that can't go on forever and things that can't go on forever must end, you know, at some point. (laughs) Well, you'd think, but, (laughs) but um, they're ultimately just selling water for the most part. (laughs) Well, that's okay. So speaking of that, think, think, think about, um, monster their huge return and coca-cola like what do they both have in common they're both a caffeinated drink so what what we need to do is wait for the next generation of caffeine drinks or something like or the next, for caffeine yeah some, some, cool. some something crazy yeah and then that'll be like the, that. the next one that that's the pattern i'm seeing here um <laughs> <laughs> so, so whatever that whatever uh 
probably be something like what CBD related or something. Oh, no, 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 that's like the opposite of caffeine. Yeah, you, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. But it will, you know, there'll, yeah. there'll be some like hyper engineered mm-hmm. version of that. I don't know, <laughs> or, or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, once that comes out, you heard it here first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be the next Coke and the next monster. Um, yeah. Funny, it's, funny you mentioned Red Bull though. I so I was recently in in Salzburg for for my anniversary. Um, and we we were doing like a kind of a mountain tour trip around the city and Red Bull's headquarters is this like, I got like a quick picture of it here, but it's this like mountain villa thing. Like, is that like like, piles of trash on the outside? No, these are bowls. They look very strange, (laughs) but that's, that's water right there. And it's this like villa thing. Um, let's see if I can find a different picture, but, um, I was, I had no idea that they were like based there. Mm-hmm. Like here's kind of like a side. I don't have where, any, any where, pictures. Where was it again? It's right outside of Salzburg, Austria. So like oh, wow. um, in the mountains, like basically like tucked into the Alps. It was very strange. I had, I had no idea. It, look, it doesn't look like a weird, like mansion museum looking thing. Oh, and this is their that's headquarters. Red Bull headquarters. Yeah. This is like park. right oh, yeah. on, look, it's look, right on the, this mountain road. Um, there's uh, the Red Bull car. Like you could pretty easily miss it because there's a lot of foliage like right in front of it, um, but it's, it's just so strange. Anyways, that is strange. Yeah, a bit of a tangent, but uh, I did not expect that because I didn't realize they were headquartered there. Um, yeah. So going, uh, that yeah, it's it's weird. That's that's why I mean that the reason we talk about moats right is to get a, an investment edge, and I think that is an interesting question: is do you actually need a moat to to be a good investment? Um, yeah, but yeah, it depends on your time frame and the size, I would say. Mm-hmm. And, but yeah, you can wait a lot for a while. In general, I think it's better to look for undervalued things than than you know things that are going to be everlasting. It's hard; those are just so hard to find. Obviously, if you find it, you want to get it. But um, going back, so I want to answer a few questions. So up, uh, there's a question about. Uh, having the U.S. government as your biggest client, would it be a moat or a risk? And if you, yeah. I, I, okay. th- this is a good question. I, I think about that with, you know, government as a client uh, mm-hmm. for a variety of things. Um, what, what's your, what's your, uh, I guess, intuition? Well, well, I think of it, I think of it mostly in the real estate sense, because there's a lot of housing voucher programs, like Section 8 mm-hmm. is, is a big one. Um, then there's state ones too. On the one hand, it's like they technically have an unlimited pocketbook, so they should pay you. But then, are there going to be delays? Is your are you able to raise prices five years from now? Like, what? what how locked in are you to that? Mm-hmm. But typically, it's probably going to guarantee your income, um, just because they can print more of it every day. <laughs> so, uh, but then at the same time, depending on how the contract's termed, uh, you're also fixing it to to dollars that they might print away at some point. If we're talking about a real long-term contract, if it's like a 10 year plus contract, um, then, then you have all this inflation risk built in perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not necessarily just with a U.S. government contract. That could be any dollar based contract or whatever currency it is um, for a long-term contract. Inflation risk is going to be a big one. So that's kind of what, those are some of the things I think about um, your payments are probably going to be guaranteed. It might be a little slow, uh, 
and you might be limited in what you can do uh, if you want to pivot in some way. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I think my initial reaction is, is it's good. It's a, it, it is a moat because I, I don't know if anybody else feels the same way, but there's a lot of inertia in government bodies, right? So yes, that's a good once way you're, once you're in and you're settled in the, 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 the chance of, of them changing or pit, you're, you're kind of like, like you said, it's guaranteed your income that it's more or, it's, or less. And, and, and the chance of them changing to somebody else is probably low. And interestingly, uh, remember how I told you that 2010 to 2020 number three. So it was Netflix one Domino's two. Number three was this, company called mktx is the ticker it was some kind of trading platform for government bonds and uh Hmm. think things like that and you know that's i would say that that is an example of a moat where you know you you're not just going to go make a a a new trading platform for government securities you know out out of your basement Mm -hmm. or something like that you know so one thing I will say with government reliance is uh, certainly for the big companies, it can be kind of a protector just because, uh, you know, if, if that company's in bed with the government, the, they're going to, it's going to be like a something for something kind of arrangement probably, or at least they'd be more likely to get protections later on um, or, or things that would hurt their competition. So from a light corruption standpoint, that sounds, that sounds illegal. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, not quite illegal, legal, uh, quid pro influence peddling, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so yeah. you got some of that built in. That's typically only for the big, big companies. Um, but one thing I'd be actually worried, worried about with that kind of arrangement where the government's paying a ton of the bills is just like complacency and what happens when that contract ends, if it ever does. Um, uh, and then it, it might tend towards a lot of waste. I have some buddies who've worked for, for government contractors and, and just the waste and uh, like just, there's no incentive really to try because you have this locked in contract that you're going to get paid no matter what the quality really is. Um, as sad as that might sound for taxpayers, but you know, for, for that company, it's, it's both good because you can make this money despite not really necessarily providing like a top quality thing. But um if the, if that gravy train ever stops, well, now what? <laughs> you have all this bloat potentially mm-hmm. and haven't really been innovating. So that's a risk. Or even if it doesn't do that, it might encourage you not to innovate in some other area. And instead, you're just going to focus on this one thing that might be increasingly outdated or whatever. Um, so there is definitely a risk on that side, too. But and that's the main risk I think of. It's not so much the counterparty risk, but it's the... Uh, the incentive risk of, okay, well, we're locked in. No need to try anymore. You know, <laughs> you know, and, and that could be, a, yeah. a, that could cause, you know, a long, long-term issues um, f- from that kind of complacency. Mm-hmm. But that's not really unique to just government reliant businesses. It's kind of any large business that has done well recently. It's very hard not to get complacent. Yeah. You know, that's kind of the, but, we but we, we just right about up. the top performers probably not being the top performers going forward. Right, you know? right exactly. But a good question from Luis. Um, yeah, those are interesting examples. And like who the actual top performers are. And uh, it's hard to say they have uh, real big moats, mm-hmm. at least in, in the sense that we would think. Um, what are yeah. some examples of great moats? We've kind of talked about them 
at a, at a higher level, but any that come to mind, uh, I think the more famous one that like Buffett talked about is uh, I'm certainly Apple with kind of the, the way it's integrated itself into many people's lives and how they can't live without their insert whatever device here, mostly the iPhone or whatever it is. Um, that's, that's true. Have I told you that story with me before? No, yeah, with, I, you might have. Well, what is it? The uh, I I broke my phone at one point, and I was you know watching too many YouTube shorts or something. So I was like, you know what? I don't I don't need this phone. I'm like, I'm I'm gonna bold. get a I'm gonna get a flip phone. So I like I I actually went and got a Nokia flip phone. This was like a few months ago, and um and it man it lasted about three days. It was I, I couldn't how integrated it was into everything from email to all my group texts that were now blue that were now green and everybody was harassing me. And then I had, (laughs) it was, it was terrible. I was like, it's like, well, this, I couldn't, I wasn't doing my work as well as I, as I, as I was previously, I didn't realize how much I used that just for email or Microsoft teams and stuff Mm -hmm. like that on my iPhone. And, and I was, I was ashamed at at how, (laughs) how much it was like, literally it was like losing a limb. Yeah, I was like, this is not fun. So I did, I did not know you did. That. I don't think you did. Yeah, that. <laughs> it, uh, a noble experiment. Anyway. A little yeah. startling, but it, eh. I mean, there's there's a reason they've become so popular. Just cell phones in general, or smartphones, because mm-hmm. um, you could just do so much more. You can also waste more time. So with great power comes great responsibility. I guess is the real lesson, right? <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. So that's like a I think yeah. a great example of one. Just, the product is so good that it's just, it's impossible to like go ever go back to a time without it. And that might be one of them, even if it has plenty of negative drawbacks, which we could talk about all day. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, think, think, think about, I mean, all the, the ones with moats are all the obvious ones and it, it's, it sucks that that's the case because they're so expensive, but, mm-hmm. and that's not what people want to hear. They want, you know, I want to find the company with a moat that's selling for three times earnings or something like <laughs> yeah, that, right. you know, and it's hard to find those in the consumer space because at the national level, I think maybe in yeah. regional, you could probably get yeah. some more interesting things there or, or smaller countries uh, or smaller mm-hmm. markets you might be able to, but yeah, at the national level, it's going to be difficult to find a entrenched oh, yeah, moat. That's not local. Yeah. Th- think about like your favorite local fast food, thing or something like that and if it maybe decided not, maybe yeah or yeah just local brands um yeah but if it if it decided to expand you know it'd be right um the tricky I, part is a lot of those are privately owned so it's even no that yeah they, they 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 all almost always are yeah yeah depending um, on large but there are examples yeah. whether or not and like i said other countries too potentially could find some so somebody said visa I think they definitely have a moat, but that it's going to be subject to attack with things like um, Apple Pay and and you know any and but I guess that's still tied to Visa, right? It, so is that Apple just, Pay? I didn't, even, I didn't know that. Is it? I don't, I don't know. Apple Pay is my like I have my Visa debit card on. Oh, just, yeah, I don't. Well, well, but I think Apple Pay is uh, like they actually take deposits too, don't they? Like you could put cash in like an Apple balance, right? And they're partnered with. I haven't, I haven't tried that yet. I think he, yeah, I think like a prepaid, can. like a prepaid Visa. See, I call it a Visa card, like a prepaid debit card. Is it? Is it? But it's service. I don't know. I'm asking you. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not too familiar, but yeah, I see what you're saying though. 
I'll, I'll tell you another example of a moat is um, whenever you describe something by the popular brand name, mm-hmm. it prob- like a generic item, like let's say a, a Kleenex or a t- uh, tissue paper, Kleenex right? Kleenex is a yeah. common example. I see Kleenex, you've been using them today. <laughs> yeah. Coke. Um, some, I, where I'm from, some people call all soft drinks Cokes, you know, or something. Really? You know, it's great. Yeah. That's and then, cool. uh, yeah. And then, uh, what, what's another? Oh, if it, if it's its own verb, like, oh, just Google that. Like, mm-hmm. think, think about that moat, you know, that's, it's what you type in. It's yeah, funny, it's crazy. funny you say that because companies will do everything they possibly can to stop that from like causing them to lose their trademark or whatever. Like, like because it becomes mm-hmm. so ingrained in just regular language that it's no longer considered the companies. It's kind of how yeah. it works in, in like trademark intellectual property law. Um, <laughs> so it's funny that like, yeah, that would be the ultimate moat, but then it ends up like kind of destroying it because then any, anyone's allowed to use the term. Uh, yeah. Potentially. But uh yeah, when uh, Xerox comes to mind, and I know yeah, Xerox, Xerox. Xerox, but you know that huh, well, you don't really talk about the Xerox moat anymore. <laughs> so even those are are vulnerable. Yeah, and I, I think of, I think some vehicles maybe that like certain models got attributed to everything else that looked just like that. You know, mm. um, like large SUVs. I remember people just called it like they just called them all suburbans or something, but it was, you know, the Maybe. only suburban was the ship. I don't know. Just, just stuff like that. Th- those are things t- to look at for, for moats. Um, I think another moat are people who have this allure of luxury or high status. Um, think of American express, you know, that, that means something to have that card, you know, it's, it's like it's it's heavier it's you know it's got this <laughs> reputation that thing like it's that's i don't know about yeah. that one i don't know about oh, that it, one. It, it means something in people's mind you know if you were at a bar and you go drop that thing down on the table or something most people like well, think test- positively about themselves <laughs> if they were going to do that you know well i think the, like test would, the test would be what if they removed half the perks you know that, that the card comes with would would people still take it and I, yeah. I I would think not, but maybe. yeah, but that's like saying, what if Costco like cut its? I don't. I mean, I, I think the moat is something additional on top of it. You know, well, Co- Costco's moat isn't so much Costco name; it's the it's the pricing. Like it's yeah, it's, it's super low cost, and generally, you know, they do well with the customer service too. But um, if they double mm-hmm. the price, they you know they're not they're not nearly as interesting anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would think. Because that we, is their most. Yeah. And and to, to to your point, I don't... Well, I'm not a big credit card fan because, like I said before, I'm a Dave Ramsey uh, half half follower, let's say. <laughs> but I do use a Costco credit card because it pretty much pays for the membership. And I priced it against the Amex and it's better, you know. Yeah. So it's not all about... I, I, I think moats are easy to identify whenever you can tell that it consumer it, it takes away the rational consumer um assumption which is the worst assumption yeah. in all econ uh is is that you know sally is a rational consumer should she you know like that's that's my le- that that in itself is a terrible assumption you know but i think things that exploit that uh that that that, that you know or that's a good way to identify a moat um 
Okay, we got some some comments about different companies. Do you know ALGN? Do you know who that is? No, yeah, someone's asking us about that. Uh, I guess they do. They're the Invisalign brand. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is that that's a pretty decent mode? Is it? Probably have a good trademark around it, or but I'm not sure. I remember seeing stuff about like 3D printing, uh, uh, like at home, Invisalign type stuff. Invisalign is like the invisible braces. Um, in, in Invisalign seems like a pretty good mode if they're, you know, if that's that's one of the ones where I, I talked about, you know, high risk to consumer. You know, people are going to pay up to, to, to get their teeth. You know, that they're, they're, they're not going to go with the generic brand uh, whenever it means messed up teeth or is is the potential downside you, you know they're going to go with the they're 27 billion dollar um market cap but let's 27 see. billion yeah and what are they selling um, at? it's not just invisalign it says um, invisalign clear liners itero uh, in, intraoral scanners and services for orthodontists and general practitioner dentists in the u.s mm-hmm. in china and internationally Two segments, clear liner and imaging systems. So I guess it's the call it heavy equipment and then Invisalign. Um, I'm not sure nice. what the 88 PE. Is that right? Am I reading that right? Uh, yes. <laughs> yep. This is the, this is what happens every time I, I, I look up anytime I find some business and I'm like, Oh, this is, this is a winner, <laughs> right? I'm like, this is a great company. Uh, I'm like, I first go see if they're public. And usually the answer is no, they're private. You know? And the second thing I do, if they are public, they're usually selling it, you know, some ridiculous multiple, um, yeah, can, um, I'll talk about I'll talk about one. I mean, revenue uh, has grown a lot in the last couple of years, but it actually declined. Uh, but, but think about what what flat rate you year. need to to justify an ADP. Think about what growth. Yeah, that's a serious growth. I don't know, you could ask our friends at, at Nvidia. <laughs> They're like a two two hundred something now, or whatever. <laughs> or actually, they just had earnings, so it might be lower now, but still, it's still triple digits at least. Um, <laughs> That's crazy. But yeah, they need they would need a lot of growth from here to justify that. Um, yeah. Um, so. my, my problem with, with large PE, I mean, the people watching this are probably in our same camp, so we don't need to go into it, but it's, I don't know. If, if, if NVIDIA's market cap dropped in half tomorrow, it would, you know, and you owned it, you, you would say like, oh, you know, it's still... Uh, you know, it'd be hard to say, oh, now it's undervalued. You, you still, I don't know, it's just crazy to me. It would still be overvalued, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's yeah. weird. I think with the, that's probably the toughest part of some of these moat, moat, heavy moat brands. It's like they always look expensive, yet in many cases they kind of grow into it. Maybe that's kind of like the Terry Smith approach where he buys a lot of seemingly expensive moaty companies. And they uh, and they end up doing pretty well, at least in the last yeah. couple of decades. Is he um, the three-legged stool guy? Yes, um, right. I think that's him. It's uh, not sleep. Somebody sleep. Uh, I, yeah, I don't Comments know. I, I, I want to say it's Terry Smith, but um, it might not be. But either way, it's kind of in that same camp of focusing on the business quality much more than uh, that, like just metrics and price. Uh, it's mostly on. Um, mm-hmm you know, return on invested capital and, and, and business quality first and 
you know, it's still looking at price, but not nearly as uh, intensely as maybe some other value types would um, compensate yeah. is Terry Smith. So okay. thank you, George, yeah, the, for that. So, a three-legged stool. I, first of all, as a math or person, I love the... I love that idea because you know, <laughs> three three points to define the plane, right? Why yeah. we ever put the fourth chair leg? It'll never sit. You know, it, yeah. <laughs> if you want to define a plane, you only need three points. The fourth one is can be wherever, right? So the three legged stool will always be uh, will always be le- it won't be level, yeah. but it'll always it will never wobble. You know, right. as long as the surface is is a uh, is a plane, which is a decent assumption. You know. I'm not saying the earth is flat, but, um, <laughs> but the floors are flat. <laughs> the floors, yeah, the floors are flat, uh, not curved. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, the, that, but that's his, the, and the three legged approach. I just remember none of it has valuation in it. It's all, um, I think it has to do with like a runway and a moat. And I forget what the three are, but I remember listening to it and thinking, Man, there's no, uh, there's no valuation is nowhere in here. You know, I think it's can it earn a high return on on uh, capital on incremental capital or something like that. Oh, three legged stool is Chuck Aker. Somebody said Acre. I think is how you say it, but uh, Acre. Okay, yeah, um, they're all in the high quality camp. We'll call it the Phil Fisher camp. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Okay, well, I guess I, I think it's a pretty good spot to wrap up on. Let's see if you have any other comments or thoughts on moats. But uh, there's there's a lot of way there's a lot of different types of moats and ways to look at it. But I think I think a lot a lot more of our discussion actually went into why moats might not necessarily matter for returns for a certain period of time or for certain size. But um, I think from a defensive perspective, they they tend to be a great thing. Um, mm-hmm. Doesn't necessarily have the best returns. You, you might not have the best returns, but you probably might be able to sustain, uh, you preserve the value you already have a bit better. Mm-hmm. Maybe that might be the way to look at them. Um, so when you have a lot of money to defend, moats are wonderful. But if you don't, then it might not matter as much. Though I think a moat would always be helpful uh, for a business. So is that is that kind of a good way to wrap it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I, I, the, and the best thing would be to have a, a great moat and a PE of of. Single digit PE, a great moat. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> that, would, that would be nice. Um, mm-hmm. If it's a real moat, not, not, not a, not a perceived one. Um, oh, cool. Well, thank you, Patrick. It's always nice chatting with you and thanks, thanks for coming on again. And uh, we'll have to get you on again in the future, maybe for another topic that you suggest, because I did like this one. Um, so please <laughs> uh, look, look forward to seeing you again. And, um, to everyone else, thanks for stopping by. And we'll, uh, I've also included um, Patrick's YouTube channel in the description below. So please check that out if you haven't already. Part-time investing. Um, but with all that said, like, comment, subscribe, all that great stuff. Don't want to miss you next time. So please subscribe and hit that bell icon so you don't miss future episodes. Um, but with that said, until next time. Thanks for tuning in to Punch Card Investing. The contents of this show should not be used as investment advice or as a recommendation to invest in a particular security. Please consult with a licensed investment advisor if you need investment advice. All investments carry risk and the potential for monetary loss. Thank you and see you next week.